Okay, I'm going to get myself all hooked up here, and I encourage you to find 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which your bookmark might just be there, or your pages might accidentally open there anyway. We have been on this for a little while. I will say we are getting closer to the end. This is not a full year set of sermons, which is maybe unusual, um, but um, this is more like a half year of sermons. And then we have another uh, place we're going to spend the rest of the year. And I think we'll see how the Lord uh, shows us where to go. But 1 Corinthians 12 is where we are, verse 24 through verse number 26. We started this a couple weeks ago, just this little paragraph. And uh, last week we had a communion Sunday, so we were in Psalm 22. So today we're back at this paragraph And there's quite a few things yet to unpack here. It says, right in the middle of a thought, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. That's a funny way to start. (laughs) But this is where I want to really start. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers... All the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Heavenly Father, help us today as we explore again uh, depth and the beauty of your word and the things that you have said concerning your church. What a magnificent thing it is to read about it and see your master plan and to know that you, in your mercy and kindness, put us in it. Thank you, Lord, for that. Help us to understand today so that not only can we know our place within your body, but that we can do it to your honor and glory and to the best that we can offer for the sake of this church. And we pray your, your blessing on our, our ability to understand today and to respond. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've been walking through the efficient functioning of the church, you you probably noticed by now because I bring it up every single time, we're not talking just simply about the church functioning. We're talking about how it functions at its best. And that's what I think 1 Corinthians 12 highlights for us more than anything else. And I've already had 18 sermons to prove that point. Um, and so I don't feel the necessity to say that uh, the way God has designed the church is a masterpiece. It's an amazing thing to look at it and study it. And I've had classes, and some of you who've been to Bible college as well, you've had those classes on ecclesiology, and you probably thought, this has got to be the driest stuff on earth. And uh, there's not a whole lot that it seems on, on theological sides with point A and one, two, three, and point B, one, two, three, to get you real excited about going into the church and doing something. Except when you stop and look at what God has done and how he designed it. And it's just amazing to me. The, the further I study it, the more I am impressed with this. This is something like this morning I was up early. I don't know if you're one who gets up early or if thunder and lightning gets you up early. But it was very cool to sit in the back room in the recliner and just with all those windows across the back of the house and see the lightning just flashing all over the place and thinking, We've got a pretty big God. 
And uh, when I studied the church, I come to the same conclusion. We've got a pretty big God. And uh, what he has done is amazing. But this picture of the church, uh, it's used, it uses the picture of a body. We can understand that because we all wear one. All right? This is perfect illustration. Nobody could say, I don't understand a body. All right? Well, maybe you don't. Maybe you go to your doctor and say, I don't know, I don't understand anything here. But uh, um, all of us are given a body, and so it could help us understand what is being described in these words, how it's made up of individual parts, and yet it operates as a single whole unit. And it's just amazing. I don't know any better picture for the church than this one, particularly in helping us to understand how it functions, and how it can function at its peak. So that's what we're looking at here today, because I don't believe, as I said before, that God just wants the church to live. I think He wants it to thrive. Do you know that He created the church to mature? Do you know that? You say, of course, Pastor. You say it so many times. He created the church to mature. The individual members of the church to mature and to bear fruit. In 1 Corinthians 12, we find out the things that help us to mature. But we also find out the things that stunt its growth. We had a five-letter word. We covered it about three or four times already. Starts with a P. Anybody want to finish it? Pride. Oh, how quickly it destroys the function ability of a church. The efficiency level goes way out the door. We won't repeat that. Nobody liked those sermons for some reason. People come to me after some sermon and say, Boy, that was great. Nobody once came up and said, Boy, do I like it when you hit pride. Nobody did that. But that's okay, because I didn't like it either. But when we come down to our understanding here, this is what God has done. We are all members of one body in Jesus Christ. One body. That's amazing. One body. There's not many. There's one. One body. And we've talked about that. That's not just here, Hillsdale, Oklahoma. This is not just the state of Oklahoma or the country of the United States. It's everywhere. Believers are, these believers are members of the body of Christ. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether it's in the 21st century, or in the 1st century. They're all in the one body in Jesus Christ. I can't wait to see it all together someday. When we get to glory, that's going to be amazing to see what God has done all over this world and all over the centuries to make one body. You're part of that in Jesus Christ. You're part of that body. And yet, the second principle we've also learned in this passage were that we're individual members of it, not independent members of it. Individual members of it that are uniquely designed, but gifted and given ministry and different effects coming from all that. But they all have the same reason, and that is, so we all grow to look like Christ. We all have that same purpose. Do you know that? Your purpose in this fellowship is to help everybody else become like Christ. Did you know that? 
That's your role. To help everybody else look like Christ. So we are actually dependent members. Dependent on one another. And that's what we've seen in the picture so far. Now when we get to verse 24, we, I brought up this word last time. God has so composed this body. And we took a look at that for a while. And that was a lot of fun. To, to think through how God so adjusted it. So mingled it. So harmonized it. So even delicately proportioned it to the, to the effect that, as we're reading in this, in this particular paragraph here, he takes even the weak parts to benefit the whole. They're necessary. Many times we give emphasis to the stronger parts, to the more upfront parts, to the, to the parts that seem to carry more weight or, or have more vigor or something like that. And we put the other weaker parts to the side and say, well, you know. God says, no, I put all those parts in there. I designed the weak parts too. I put them in the body for a reason. Because that weak part is to make you a better person like Christ. That weak part, that less honorable part, that seemingly useless part, all those mingled and woven together with the strong parts, the honorable parts, the valuable parts. God has composed it. And so let's stop and not look at one another as, oh, you're better, you're, I'm better, those kind of things that the Corinthians fought with here. But stop and look at the God who put it all together. He can work with broken parts. He could work with weak parts. He could work with parts that have no strength, no beauty, nothing they seemingly bring to the table. God says, that's the one I choose. Why? Guess who gets the glory? He does. God so composed the body, and He did it on purpose. So sometimes when we think, you know, that person, I don't know why they're even here. (laughs) Talk to the one who composed the body. Because He put them here for a reason. And that reason always is, as we're studying in this passage, to make us more like Jesus. Okay? That's the review. You ready? Here we go into verse number 24. 25, rather. Verse 25. Uh, why, why did God compose the body in this way? What is the purpose in God's composing the body? Weak parts, strong parts, honorable parts, not honorable parts. Why did God use seemingly useless parts in there? Why did God bring that in next to the valuable parts? Why? Well, we're going to explore that in verse 25. You see it right here with me. So that there will be no (coughs) division in the body, sorry, (coughs) but that the members may have the same care for one another. This is, in the Greek words, it's the hina phrase. A hina sets up the, the, the purpose. Why? So that. So that, that's very key to understanding where he's going with this. There are two things he he mentions, sorry, in verse 25. This is what he has set up. And here's where I'm going to start as we go into these things. Because they look so easy. No division and same care. That sounds pretty simple. Two points, we're done, right? No. Whenever there's a henna, and I see it in the Greek often, whenever there's a henna, the verbs that follow it are what we call subjunctives. Subjunctives are potentials. 
every time I read a potential, I, I have, I have this thing inside of me that says, uh oh, <laughs> there's a potential coming. So much of the, the words in the New Testament that speak about the Christian's growth here on this earth is set in the verbs of the potential. You and I are, are designed to be mature, aren't we? That's God's plan. Have I convinced you? You're to be mature in Christ. You are to be fully functional, fully equipped, fully activated in Christian service. You are to be fully activated in ministry to one another. You're to be bearing fruit. You are to be evangelistic toward the lost. You are to be mighty in your faith. You are to be enormously expanding your understanding of the Word. You're to be able to teach others too. He's designed you for all that. How are you doing? If somebody said, this is, this is what you ought to look like, how close are you? Many of us would say, well, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I know another man who said that once. He wrote the book of Philippians. Any wild guess who his name might be? The Apostle Paul. And what did he say in chapter 3? You might already know. Verse 12 and 13 and 14. Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect. That's mature. But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself of laying hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, I'm not there yet. I'm aiming for it. And I want to ask you again, when I read this phrase, I'm going to describe it again, that this is the way you've been designed. And I want you to ask yourself, are you there yet? Or are you still striving to get there? You are designed to be mature, fully functional, fully equipped, fully activated in Christian service and to one another, to be bearing fruit, to be evangelistic toward the lost, to be growing mighty in our faith, enormously expanding our understanding of the Word, and able to teach others too. Are you pressing on? Are you maturing? This hinna phrase, when I see it on the page, and it sets up this potential situation, I step back and say, uh-oh. <laughs> Whenever there's a potential, I feel guilty. The reason I do is because potentials are like that. They say, this is what you should be. And it makes you evaluate, are you there yet? Every time I see it, I go through this phase, if you will, this, this questioning phrase. I do this first of all. Whenever I see a potential phrase, I realize that there's something bigger God has designed for me. God has something bigger designed for me when I read it. And I feel a bit embarrassed. That's the second thing that comes, because I don't measure up. I'm not there yet, Lord. And then I have to do something with that. So I then, in number, my third step is to set my heart or on my, set my heart on being what he meant me to be. You know, if the heart's not engaged, you're not going to do it, right? 
And so I have to talk to my heart and say, are you going to do it? Are you going to follow through? And then I say, okay, press on. Press on. Don't quit. You know God has something bigger for you. And what I'd like to add to that is this. I thank Him for thinking bigger for us. I thank Him for that. Aren't you glad He's not just satisfied with mediocrity? He says, oh yeah, you're okay. It's no big deal. You think He's ever going to look at the church and say, it's no big deal? Didn't His son die for this church? I think that's a big deal. So if He's thinking bigger than we are, and we come to a potential situation here, and we read about it, and we say, oh, there's a potential. What do we do with this? First of all, realize he's got bigger ideas for us than we do. So let's get engaged and follow through with it and thank him for thinking so big of this church. What is it that we got to see? First of all, number one, in verse 25, this is his first purpose. Why did he decompose the body in all this way? Taking weaker parts stronger parts, less valuable parts, more valuable parts. Why did he mingle it all this way? Why? So that there will be no division in the body. That's the word for schism. You ever hear of one? A schism? We mark some in church history. We even give them those titles. It was the great schism of the church or something like that. It's the word for a split or a gap. How many churches have been down those roads? Oh, it's sad. It is sad. A lot of my ministry, um, the first maybe 20 years of my ministry was working with churches that have gone down this road. I was in church rescue work. It's an interesting thing to walk into a church after half of it's left. And the other half is feeling pretty poor too. And they're trying to figure out which end is up and they don't know what to do. And it's a struggle. It's a struggle. Sometimes you have to say, well, what, what, what brought us to this place? Why is there a gap? Why is there a schism? Why is there a problem? Well, I simplified it, and I, I'll tell you what it is. Whenever there's no maturity, you're guaranteed division. Because people are thinking about themselves and not about each other. And here, the whole purpose of the body being so composed, so it's so dependent on each other, is to set up the fact that there shouldn't be division. Now, unfortunately, that's a potential. Do you know why? Because many times the people won't grow in maturity. Many times they won't see the necessity of other members in the body. And they start dividing among themselves. You're not important. You're not needed. You're not wanted. Those kind of things that the Corinthians experienced as well. God designed it so that, here's the actual verbiage of this, so that there will never really be a need for division. It's to exist continually that the church have no division. Wouldn't that be sweet? If we could see that and see no problem coming down the road, no division, no division, no division, no division, no splits, no gaps, no problems in the body, in the body, in the body. That's one of the potentials set up here, that God so composed the body so that it would not and could not be divided. Unfortunately, that's a potential. 
because we know the reality of history, don't we? Now, I want to come back to that in just a minute because I've got an illustration that helps with that. But the second side of this, and it's really a strong statement, he pulls out the strongest, but he possibly could in the rest of verse number 25, but that the body should have the same care for one another. That they should, again, potentially continue to have the same care for one another. Continue to have. Don't let up kind of thing. Doesn't stop kind of thing. Continues, continues, continues. The word care. We should all have the same care for one another. You say, well, of course, we're kind of like that. But let, let me talk about the word itself. The word care is actually the word to be anxious. All right? All you anxious people just found a, a light verse. You just said, whoa, I've got one now. Because everybody's always telling me, be anxious and nothing, but it everything by prayer and supplication. And you say, I'm always told, don't be anxious. And here there's a verb, and the pastor just said, be anxious. Let, let me talk about it for a minute. Maranao, Maranao is our word. It's really fun to write. M-E-R-I-M, M-E-R-I-M-N-A-O. It talks about being divided in your thinking. To be divided. To be anxious about something. Where you're thinking this and you're thinking this at the same time. Where, you, where you're divided. Where, where sometimes they use it for be troubled. But it also means to seek somebody else's interest. And your own interest. That's kind of hard sometimes to do both. But it means in the sense of being cut in half. Being cut in half. Now, how does that work in our picture? Because we're talking about the body. And nobody thinks it's valuable to have the body cut in half, right? Anybody have a problem with that? But this is, this is what's interesting to me. Paul, using the body here as the picture for the church, he talks as if the parts of the body should each one have its anxiety for the other. Now, if we talked about the cells of the body, we know that there's, there's a multitude. We would talk about millions or billions of cells in a body. And yet, those cells are all designed to work together, are they not? That's their role. Whether it's a cell in a, a toe or a cell up in the ear or a cell somewhere in the hair or something, they all have the same role. They're there to help the body as a whole. This is how my brain works. If, if you set one of those ink blocks in front of me and says, what does this mean to you? You know, we, maybe you've done that before. But uh, if somebody came up to me and just said, anxiety, I think nervous. That's my first word. And then, as I was looking at this word, anxiety, body, nervous, I went to nervous system. Make sense? If you can't follow that, you can't understand my mind at all. But this is the way I think. I just see all this stuff, and I think, nervous system. Well, I get it. The nervous system. When I was in Bible college, we had to take science classes. I said, well, what's that for? I mean, we're into big theology things, and Greek and Hebrew and all that stuff. And we got to take science, biology, anatomy, physiology. 
It's later when I realized the value of such classes. It was amazing. I had a teacher at Southeastern Bible College named Dr. Long. She was uh, a retired doctor. Her emphasis was on the, um, the system with hormones and nerves and all these other things. And so when she taught physiology, it was like, whoa, that was amazing. Absolutely amazing to listen to her teach how the body works and communicates with itself and how the parts do this. And she'd give us pictures of this, and, and of course she'd test us later, but the idea was simply, how does a nerve cell work? And we spent so many weeks on that, it was just amazing. Uh, just imagine, follow this with me. Say that you just now pricked your finger, all right? Nobody enjoys that feeling. But there's pain receptors in there that operate to record that. Say, oh, Somebody just pricked the finger, and they felt that, and it starts this system of the breakdown of nerve cells, where each nerve cell, to carry that message to the brain that the finger had been pricked, does this exploding thing, and that's the best I could ever describe it. There are wonderful things called synapses. You ever hear of those? They sit in between the cells, and one cell comes through there, and it pops a message, and some sort of chemical is then carried to the next cell that picks it up and carries it down the road. And these, these cells operating in this way, from this pop, 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 all the way down this line, they're communicating a message. They're moving the message. It's traveling by millions of cells from a finger all the way up to the brain to tell the brain, somebody just pricked me. And as it goes its way up the brain, each time the nerve cell carries the same message to say, that hurt, that hurt, that hurt, that hurt, and it goes all the way up to the brain and it says, did that hurt? And the brain has to interpret that and say, well, you know what, that does hurt. Matter of fact, I'll tell you how much it hurts. And the brain could do that. It could process it and tell you the degree in which it hurts. And then it says, we can't just leave you hurting. We've got to get every part involved here. So the brain sends messages back down the line, pop, 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 all the way down to where it gets to a place where the elbows are told, pull back, that hurts. And so it starts to pull back. You know how fast that is? It's amazing how quickly that is. The elbow starts to pull back, and of course all these muscles need to know what to do, and the joints need to know what to do, and all these nerves are just carrying messages back and forth. Move this way, move that way, move it up, move it down. No, get it away from that thing. And while they're moving it up, it's telling this finger, aim this way, and it's saying, mouth open up. <laughs> Isn't that what you do? You prick your finger, and what's the first thing you do with it? Like this. And then while you're doing this, it says, okay, feet start dancing. <laughs> and I don't know why, but they have to be involved. And they start moving around, and your body and your eyes well up with tears because your brain said cry. <laughs> and everything is happening all at once. And you're saying, well, that's natural. God composed that, folks. He designed the body with all these little cells in it. And it's beautiful to see it, how they work. They communicate this message back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. They're dependent on each other. And so what you have, picture yourself, you're one little cell in that whole link. You're standing there and you're saying, who's got a message? Who's got a message? Who's got a message? Oh, you got one. Okay, 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 okay. Pop! And you send it on. That's all you do. 
The whole time you are anxious for somebody to send you something. So you're looking to the right and you're looking to the left. You're divided. Because messages come this way or they go that way. And you have to be aware of it. You've got to be ready. You've got to be ready to work together to do your part so that elbow moves, so that finger goes in the mouth, so the feet dance, so the eyes water. You've got to have your part. You're just one little cell in the whole. But what's the importance of that? If the cells don't care for one another, is it going to happen? Guess what division looks like? You cut off one cell and the chain is broken off. You see the importance of this little passage? God has so designed the body, so designed it. And I think of the the human system here, the nervous system that he's given, it's a care system. It's designed to protect your body from harm, from anything else that comes along. But there's a spiritual nervous system that I think this is talking about, where each part is reciprocating to each other. They're alert to each other. They're working back and forth to each other. Reciprocating was the word I found when I typed in the word on my Bible thesaurus. Reciprocating care. And I've got a reciprocating saw, and many of you guys do too. It goes in and out, in and out, and it cuts both ways. And this is a picture when you take this word up in front of you and say that the body should have the same care for one another. That's not only in giving, but that's in receiving. And we have to be good at both. Some people say, I don't want to receive from anybody. I'm independent. I do it all myself. That's not the way God designed the body. Some people sit there and just soak it in. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me all day long, and they give nothing out. God did not design the body that way. Your part in the body is both in giving and receiving. It's in both ways operating. It's in this system, this reciprocating system that God has so designed so that the body has the same care for one another. It's a beautiful thing when it's working right. And that leads to efficiency, doesn't it? When all the parts are doing this just as they're designed to do it. It'd be a shame for one little nerve cell to get the message wrong. And then instead of the finger in the mouth, it goes in the ear. You say, what happened? You've got to make sure those nerve cells work. As a pastor, that's my job. is to help you to mature to the best of your ability that God has designed you to be so that you can function well in the body and help each other grow to be like Christ. You see the picture? It's an amazing thing. This isn't just tack on in the middle of his explanation of the body. This is important. God did not design the body to be divided. The potential is there. Let's avoid it. God did design the body so it has the same care for one another. And the potential is there that we won't. But let's do it. Because that's God's plan. That's God's design. And I could read you a passage. I read it a few weeks ago. But it seems to fit every single time we put it in here. Philippians chapter 1. It's Philippians chapter 2 technically. But I'm going to back up a few verses. Philippians 1 verse 27. I'm going to start there and then work my way back into chapter 2 for a minute. Follow along, if you will. Philippians 1, verse 27. 
Boy, this really starts right on the right out the bat right here. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Think about that. How much is the gospel of Christ worth to you? I hope a whole lot. But even if it's not a whole lot in your mind, in God's mind, it's worth a ton. <laughs> How do you live up to being or behaving in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? What an alarming way to start a verse. That Whoa! That takes a lot of self-reflection right there. Only conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to you and see you or remain absent, I will hear, watch, I will hear, he's talking to the Philippians, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. This is a body that's working right. They're striving together. Now, he goes into verse 28, 29, and 30 and talks about opponents and suffering and conflict. How many people like those three words? Nobody does. We say, oh, do we have to? Well, he says, well, if you're striving together, you're affirming your, your one spirit, your mind is one, striving together for the faith of the gospel, you're not alarmed by your opponents. It's a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted, for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. You can't do that by yourself. Not in the body of Christ. We're going to see that in our passage soon. When one person suffers, guess what? They all suffer with it. But here, it's been granted to you for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, now here to be in me. But, if you stay firm in your oneness with each other, you find your mutual strength not only to survive these difficult things, but you thrive in these difficult things. There are churches we have record of in Scripture, and churches we have record of in history, that really did excel under persecution. It's because they understood they needed each other. And they were walking together, one mind, one, one mind striving together, one, one perspective in spirit, standing firm together, doing it the way God designed it. They strive as a church in the midst of difficult times. How does that happen? That's where chapter 2 kicks in. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection and compassion, those are the things we share with one another through Christ, right? The encouragement from Christ we share with one another. The love we have from God we share with one another. The fellowship we have is because of Him. And we share that with one another through the Spirit. We have affection. We have compassion. And since these things are true, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, doing nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regarding one another as more important than yourself. This is that nerve cell looking this way and this way, this way and this way, saying, I have to help them. I've got to help them. I've got to stay in communication with them. I've got to operate when they need me. I'm here. This is the one who's saying, I'm not doing this selfishly. 
but in humility of mind, I regard one another as more important than myself. I don't look out for my own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. That's divided. Thinking both ways. Thinking both ways. And have this attitude in yourself. Who had it first? Jesus Christ. Ideally, that's what we aim for, isn't it? We say, yeah, that's what, that's what it is. Yeah. So why does Paul have to say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25? Why does he have to say that there's potential for division? Why does he have to say there's potential that we're not going to be mature and we're not going to care for one another? Why is that potential sitting there in the middle of a beautiful passage? Unfortunately, that potential is, is reality too many times, isn't it? Too many times. I take it back to this. When the parts are immature, they're only looking at themselves. They're not looking at the rest. They're disruptive. They're contrary to the rest. They're not operating the way they should. You may say, well, sometimes that's not too big of a deal. Actually, it's a big deal every time. <laughs> it's a big deal every time. It's just sometimes we see it more advanced. We have this thing that, that churches have followed for, for many, many years called church discipline. Church discipline. You know the rules, right? I say that. Understand my humor for a minute. Well, you understand the rules of church discipline. Three strikes and guess what? They're out of here. Isn't that the rules? They have a problem. First one goes, talks to them, they don't listen. Second group goes out, takes a couple people with them, talk to them, they don't listen. Tell it to the church, they don't listen. Guess what? He's out of there. We use that all the time. I say we. I mean, that's what churches have done for years. Do you know that was never addressed to the church? Surprise! It's in the book of Matthew. Jesus wasn't talking to the church. He was talking to Jewish disciples living in Jewish land. That actually followed the law code. That was the law code system. That's how they dealt with people who were unruly in the congregation. They had a special place for them outside the camp. You may say, okay, they're going camping. You guys like camping. You go, you go way out there, camp way out there in the middle of nowhere. That's great. Go on out there. Go on out there. You know, that was the most unsafe place to be during the 40 years of the wandering in the wilderness. To be on the outskirts of that, when the enemy came and attacked, guess who they attacked first? The people way out there. Let me get to a point. I believe the better picture of church discipline is found in 2 Thessalonians, chapter 3. I want to take this, just this little road, or just take a minute, okay? Just this little road. And I want to show you why it's valuable, because it's not based on three strikes and you're out. Here it is in 2 Thessalonians 3. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did with you so that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men, and not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen and protect you from this evil one. We have confidence in the Lord's concerning you, that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. So far we say, well, that's really sweet, Paul. 
Verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother. Who's a brother? A Christian. Every brother who leads an unruly life. They walk in a disorderly way. They walk in an irregular way. Not according to the tradition which you've received from us. Simple picture. I've used this before. You're in a canoe. There's room for 20 people. Big canoe. You're all paddling along. One person is turned around backwards paddling the other way. Is that disruptive? Oh, my. You say, wait a minute. That's ruining our efficiency. We're not moving as fast as we can. This one guy's paddling the wrong way. What do you say? (laughs) Throw him overboard, right? (laughs) No. No, 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 no. That's not what he says to do. Watch this. For you yourselves know, verse 7, how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you. We didn't eat anyone's bread without paying for it. We didn't do labor. We did labor and hardship. We kept working with you night and day that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to do this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. You, 19 other people, are setting an example of the right way to go. He says, don't stop there. Even while we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone's not willing to work, he's not to eat. Okay, you say, okay, what do I do with that? Verse 11. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life. He got right to the point. Yes, you have this problem. You have somebody who's not working at all. Somebody's acting like a busybody. Somebody who's causing trouble. Guess what? If it's a body part, it's not helping, is it? It's going contrary to the rest of the, of the nature of what it's supposed to do. Like one nerve cell who's turned around backwards. What do you do? Ignore it? A lot of churches do. They just say, oh, we'll just ignore that. We'll put them over there. We used to have, in one of my classes in junior high, junior high kids were terrible. I'm sorry if you're in junior high, but there were terrible kids in my school. They're all in jail now, by the way. Um, <laughs> I'm sure of it, but uh, they, these, these uh, junior hires in, in the school, I had a history teacher who just couldn't stand troublemakers in his class, and he had partitioned off one corner with high walls in the corner. He called it the leper's colony, and if you acted up, there was a desk for you inside there, and nobody saw you the whole hour. He put you in there and keep you in there because you were causing trouble. More times than not, that's the way the church wants to act when somebody's not working with the body as it should. We say, oh, let's ignore him. Let's move him somewhere else. Let's get him out of here. Matter of fact, the hope is he goes away. That's what our hope really seems to be. Oh, I wish he'd just go away. But here's what Paul says in verse 12. Now, such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in a quiet fashion and eat their own bread. It looks like there's an investment here. I'm going to go talk to him. Talk to him. I'm going to go and talk to him and say, you know what, that's not the way you do this. Turn around. Paddle with us. Same motion. Follow through. Follow our example. I'm going to talk to the person. How many people enjoy confrontation? That's a hard one. But he says, do that. But as for you, brother, don't grow weary in doing good. You say, I talked to him once. That's it. 
Uh-uh. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. How many times? It doesn't say to stop at a certain point, does it? You keep going. Keep going. Keep going. And if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, okay, you didn't listen, take special note of that person. We have the word mark them. This is what would be great. I'd love it. We give them a little name badge that says troublemaker. <laughs> Wouldn't everybody notice it? We can't do that. But here he says, mark that person. Don't associate with them. You say, does that mean throw them out? No. That means don't mix together. Don't eat, you know, have company with them. Don't treat him like he's normal. But treat him like he's different. Or put him to shame. Do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. The picture is simple. Here's the troublemaker. He comes into the church fellowship hall. You're going to have dinner together. You're going to sit there in tables, and he comes and sits down at your table. Everybody there at the table knows he's Mr. Troublemaker. He's going the wrong way. He's causing grief in the church. He won't listen to your advice. He won't listen to your instruction. He won't turn around and do it the right way. Everybody at the table says, we can't eat with you. We can't fellowship with you because you're walking contrary to the way this body works. And they all get up and move to another table. How's that man feel suddenly? You say, ooh, that's drastic. Yeah. Do you think it might put him to shame? He might sit there and say, uh, uh, I think I better fix something here. Imagine if a whole church body was operating together to correct one person who was facing the wrong direction. How potent would that be? How exciting would that be when that person turns around and says, I want to I do it the right way. You've got a model of everybody else setting it for him. Often, folks, quite honestly, when the disorderly start up, we give them what they want. They want attention. We give it to them. But we don't give them what they need. And that's maturity. Our goal is to aim at maturity in the believer, right? That's the point. That's why he designed the body so that there would be no division in the body. But that all the parts had the same care for one another. What if there's a weak part? What if there's a broken part? What if there's a hurting part? What if there's a disorderly part? Do we just throw them out? No. The whole body engages in helping them mature. That's what it's called to do. We separate them from the body today. We wish they go elsewhere when it's our place to admonish them. Ouch, I know. But it, too often it's happened this way. That's why this text is given to us that God composed the body. Aren't you glad it's His plan and not ours? Do you know what? It's a better plan than ours too. God so composed the body, gave it a system of communication between the parts so that they all care for one another. They're looking out to their left. They're looking out to their right. They're not dividing the parts, but they're caring for the parts. Caring, especially caring to the point of maturity. That's what they're called to do. I once heard this that uh, Queen Victoria, back many, many years ago of England, was having trouble with somebody she considered to be her enemy. And without naming names, she asked her prime minister one day how she ought to do, what she ought to do for her enemy. And the answer was a quick reply, make them your friend. 
How simple is that? At least to say it is one thing. To do it is another. The efficient functioning of the body, it breaks down when we view each other as opponents. When pride sets in. When we conclude that separating the parts is the best idea. That's when it breaks down. But that's not the way God composed the body. There are many different parts. Different parts that are all dependent on each other. Different parts that need to be the most efficient they can be. They need to enhance the dependence and enhance the communication and enhance the growth and not cause division. So what's your job? If you're just one little nerve cell in the whole thing, Your part is who's on your left, who's on your right. If they're not as mature as you, lift them up. If you're not as mature as them, grow up. Grow up. Because the whole body benefits when we all mature, right? Isn't that our goal? That's what the picture is for us. Care is a big word. But let's employ it as God's design for efficient communication in the body so we all can grow up to the potential God has for us. Heavenly Father, help us. Help us, please. Because so many things, so many things are, are potentials in our midst that they don't happen unless we're all involved, unless we're all growing. We need to have our eyes set on Christ, our head. We need to mature into His image. We need to do that for the sake of the body. We need to help those who are struggling. We need to follow those who set good examples. There's so much here for us to understand, Lord. Just put it in our hearts to want to be what you designed us to be so that your name is glorified with a church body that looks like Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our midst. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.